welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This week's episode is 241. In our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships, views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present two MDs and a microphone, Rash Decisions, Doctors, D and Peggy Sue, at Frolicon. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your hosts, Doctors, D and Peggy Sue. I'm Dr. Peggy Sue here. Uh, I'm family medicine trained, worked as faculty, and right now I work in a hospital and we've been doing this for a few years now and we come here because we like your questions <laughs> um, and we like to get our geek on how many years have we been doing this i think five i think you're right i think five i'm starting to run out of um names for the class i mean it's always two mds and a microphone but we always have some sort of like subtext behind it that's kind of so this year it's rash decisions um, previous years Introduce we had, yourself Sure Yeah um, In the audio form In the podcast form I'm the guy So if you hear my voice You'll know that This is Dr. D If you're the female voice That's Dr. Peggy um, So my background So we went to medical school together We were in Augusta And we were the Weird people find each other The two weird people In our class So um, yeah, I am a infectious disease internal medicine doctor here in Atlanta, and I specialize in general infectious disease, but also STDs, HIV, PrEP, we're going to talk about that, and LGBTQ, kink, poly, all healthcare. Um, and then some of my other little passionate things uh, are improving physician-patient communication. It's a big, big, big deal, and we'll talk about that today. Um, reducing hospital-acquired infections, um, just kind of improving the overall hospital experience. And just to start... Disclaimer. We are both physicians. We will dispense whatever general medical advice applies to your questions, but we are not your physician. Correct. So if you have a specific concern, you need to make sure you speak... With your physician. Right. Now, if you're local, it might be Dr. Dan, but... That's true. And so, you know, if we... And the other thing is, if we don't know the answer to it, we'll we'll try to do our best to kind of get you in the right direction who you need to talk to about these sort of things. So if you if you missed it before, if you have any sort of sensitive questions or, you know, you don't want to just kind of get up and drop trial and show us your rash, just come on up here and... <laughs> happens um just come on up here write on a piece of paper we'll all be watching you and um <laughs> if there's only one question we'll know who, do, who wrote it so oh okay that's another good way to do it <laughs> it's like come up to the table of shame and um <laughs> write your question as as best as you can if you have ataxia from untreated syphilis well i'll try to i'll try to um, well, cool. Do you, do you have any fun stories to share to kind of like lighten the mood before we get into some hardcore, disgusting medical stuff? Uh, nothing's hardcore, disgusting. Medical yeah, it's stuff. all interesting and fascinating. <laughs> right. 
So we, we're passing the paper around for questions, but that doesn't necessarily mean you you just ask some questions. So a couple of things we usually talk about are yeah, things updates. like HIV, PrEP, and PEP. Yes, absolutely. Um, so kind of just by show of hands, how many of you guys know about PrEP? Raise your hands. Five people? Okay. Uh, how many of you know about post-exposure prophylaxis for HIV? Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, cool. How many How many of you are, I guess you don't shouldn't ask if they actually So, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a regimen you can take if you anticipate being exposed to HIV um, or some high-risk situation, and that's a risk you're wanting to take. Um, It's a regimen you can start beforehand. Mm -hmm. PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis. Something happened. You think you might be exposed. You want to get to the ER as soon as possible. Um, to start the post-exposure, and this is both for HIV. Um, And so those are always things we want to cover, and the sooner you get, like, hours matter. Right. So PrEP prep should ideally be something that your your doctor will talk with you about. However, the reality is often when you go see your GP, they're not going to actually take a detailed sexual history from you. There's a lot of assumptions, and some of that is due to time crunch. Um, and some of that is due to doctors being people, too. We started out as regular people, and regular right. people as a group don't always think that they want to be accepting of all types. So I, I, I am an infectious disease, so one of the <laughs> things that you can do to be kind of pragmatic about this is read up on your doctor beforehand. And there's certain things that you can, like the NCSF has a kink-aware or kink-knowledgeable um, physician database or a health professional database. That's a good place to start, although in the Southeast it's really limited. I think we're the only two in the Southeast on there. Which is, since um, I don't have a personal practice right now. Yeah, just me. <laughs> um, come on out. But, um, so, you know, ideally, your physician should be talking with you about this if you're a high-risk individual that would benefit from PrEP. So, it may benefit you to talk with them first. Uh, a good physician, if they don't know much about it, will refer outside and be like, well, you know, I don't really know how to initiate this or how to do the monitoring, but I will send you to somebody that knows. And... Frequently, if you if you look around for an infectious disease physician, if your insurance allows you to skip a referral process, you can usually just come right to the specialist. And if you see someone that has, um, they'll usually list on their on their professional websites. My interests are, you know, HIV, STD preventions, and things like that. That's who you want to go to. Um, not only will often they will make the environment more comfortable for you by asking open-ended questions, questions that don't have a stigma associated with them. Um, a good example of this is people say, do you use condoms, yes or no? I do not ever ask the question that way. So for me, it's about opening the conversation. I say, do you use condoms sometimes, none of the time, or all the time? There's no correct answer to this. And then if, when someone gives the answer, if they say, well, I use it sometimes. Is it with certain sexual acts? Is it with certain people? Um, what you want to do is find someone who's going to take the time to really understand your history because if you should be on PrEP or not, there's a lot of different factors for it. And the people who benefit the most for it are people who are high risk for acquisition of HIV. So 
if you're in that sort of high risk or even moderate risk, but you want to do everything you can to protect yourself, it is a great idea to ask your doctor about it. Um, it's very effective, but only against HIV, which is very, very, very important. Um, so if you're engaging in sort of multiple partners, unprotected, uh, anal receptive intercourse, um, those sort of things. Or with a known HIV positive individual. Sure. If, if the HIV positive individual has a detectable viral load, yes. Uh, another really important thing to t keep in mind is if you have another infection, like herpes simplex, especially if you have it uh, rectally or generally, you increase your risk of acquiring HIV. So keep those things in mind. Um, so a lot of insurances do pay for PrEP now, and Atlanta is, at least for those of you that are local, uh, Fulton County is actually developing a PrEP clinic that should be active in the next couple of years. So for those of you who are uninsured, you'll be able to get screened for PrEP and get on it. But being on it is only one part of the process. So part uh, the other part of it is coming in and getting tested for all the other STDs that doesn't protect you against. And when I, it's something we talk about every year is STD testing. Going to your doctor and saying, I want everything done is, is usually the wrong answer. I live in Tennessee where they still make you sign a piece of paper if the doctor's going to get an HIV test on you. And they do in Georgia. Which is very backwards. But, you, but a lot of times when I see colleagues say, you know, someone asks for testing, I want to be tested for everything. If they weren't specific, a lot of times I'd see the test results come back. And if I got called about the results... A lot of times it didn't test necessarily for what they thought it did. A lot of times they right. don't test for things like HIV unless you mention something. Right. So yeah, I have my own horror story about this. I uh, thought I was getting tested for everything for 10 years now. I tell all my friends and get the, like, getting tested parties and stuff. And then only within the last couple of years, uh, I went to see someone who was a little more confident and more specific. And uh, I had not been getting tested orally or rectally because they assume that I only put You're straight. in things and that's the only place I can right. possibly get tested. This is, so as somebody that's both internal medicine and infectious disease trained, I am the worst patient. I go to a doctor, I'm like, I know everything you're gonna say. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible and I'm just there and I'm just judging you. Like, I'm just I'm like, you didn't ask me if I have <laughs> to see someone else do it, as I'm generalizing, but some folks that are, you know, very busy or tend to be of the older generation, they think in one way, um, and they may not necessarily ask the right questions, and if they're not asking the open-ended questions that make you feel comfortable, a lot of times people aren't comfortable disclosing it. Um, but you, you brought up an excellent point, and, you know, what we do with PrEP is you ask everything that they're doing. You want to know... So when I ask patients... What so, do you put where? Well, no. My first question is, are you sexually active? Because sometimes people will say no. And then even when they say no, you kind of have to say, like, what do you think is sex? So some people... <laughs> or I, they're like, I just, you know, I, I fuck people's mouths, but that's not sex. And I've dealt you know. with teenagers, so occasionally I've more asked after that, has anyone been sexual towards you. Yeah. Um, because there's lots of them that have had high-risk exposures, but because they didn't initiate it, right. they don't consider it being sexually active. Right. 
So, you know, even if, if, if you're on PrEP, so find, finding a doctor that you can trust and talk to about that and has a background in this field is absolutely crucial. Um, because folks like us are going to risk stratifying. We're not going to treat everybody the same. So if you go and you and you have, I have people that go to darkroom parties. Well, they have darkrooms here. So people who go to darkroom parties, people who do, you know, glory hole, people who do frequent, you know, condomless gangbang, stuff like that. Um, you're going to want to bring them in more frequently and you're going to want to do more screening. Um, because for me, why I do this is I'm not just treating that one individual, I'm treating the community. You're making safe sex for everybody by, by screening and treating individuals because no one gets excited about condom use. That's the reality of the situation. And I will say, in my area, I'm in Northeast Tennessee and Appalachia, I have seen AIDS-defining illnesses. I have seen end-stage AIDS. That they're diagnosed at that point. And mm-hmm. it is one of the saddest things yeah. is when I see such advanced disease and if they had gotten diagnosed earlier. So, you know, you brought up HIV consent, and that's, that's a, a bone I, I like to pick really quick. So that's actually on the state level, and we could all work together to change that. It's on the individual state level. And why that exists, why, why do you have to consent for HIV? It actually is a throwback to the 80s and early 90s when there wasn't effective treatment for HIV. So at that time, if you got diagnosed with HIV, it was considered to be a death sentence. So people who had this AIDS-defining symptoms, rather than get tested and potentially dox their sexual orientation of their family before they died, this would be a stopgap to prevent it. Because some people would say, no, I do not want to be tested for HIV because there's nothing that can be done about it. So for, th- for tests that you may not necessarily need to do it because at that time there was a very limited amount of things we could do. And there was also a lot of perception of, why would you test me for that? I'm not gay. And there's a lot of, in the Southeast, um, things that get in the way of medical care. So... Currently in the southeast, so what, what population do you, when you think of HIV, what do you think of? Who has HIV? And I, I want to say an HIV right now. Who, who are the main folks who are getting HIV now? What do, what's it, what, what do you guys think? I think you're going for gay men, right? No, it isn't. You know why it's not gay men? Because they all know about it. Because, because, we can, because in, in the gay community, you can talk about it. Because in the gay community, there's been an enormous amount of awareness and activism to get tested. That's why, you know, even Grindr is now saying, well, they got in some trouble recently for pulling people's PrEP results. But they're saying, hey, maybe we can take people's PrEP um, prescription from their um, EMR, because a lot of us have uh, portable access to our electronic medical record. And we can actually put it on the profile so it can be verified this person is on PrEP. Doesn't tell you if they're actually taking it, but that means they've gotten a prescription. So in the gay community, it's it's so much more accepted to get tested, to be aware, you know, to say, look, I'm paused, but I'm on treatment or I'm on prep. Um, because if you are, and we'll talk about this, if you're undetectable for HIV, your probability, and I've been saying this for years, and I love it because the science is is continuing to build on it and continuing to say, you were right, Doctor D. You were right all along. That if you're undetectable, your probability of transmitting it is is very close to zero. Um, so that's been there. So no, it is the new cases of HIV are absolutely not in game. 
So, and it's one of those things, sometimes that is a reasonable decision if you're in wanting to be fluid bonded with someone who is HIV positive, if it's a close enough relationship, you know their regimen, you know their viral load. Yeah. That can be a reasonable risk. So the population is African-American heterosexual women and bisexual minorities, uh, especially in the Southeast. And there's many, many... Re- so if you look at the top 10 cities where HIV is increasing, nine of the 10 are in the Southeast. I think the one is Baltimore. Is outside the and a, a lot of it is cultural. People can't be out to their community or families. Um, and they're expected to fill this role of, of, or a heteronormative role. So, and that's, and the silence in this case is death. So, when people aren't getting tested, when they aren't aware, they don't screen for it. And, th- and this goes right back. So, physicians may not know this and may not screen an African American heterosexual female with a husband that's been married for 20 years and is, you know, what she thinks is monogamous, but he isn't. So, I mean, that's why it's important, you know, for me, regardless, test every year. I actually have a question on the staff there because, like, I, I've known the uh, black heterosexual women staff for a while now. Right. But I can't figure out, and I know that a substantial part of that is because of the idea of being on the down low. Right. Um, but it seems then that black heterosexual or, or black bisexual men yes. would be as, uh, as at risk or higher. Yeah, that's why I mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned both groups. Yeah. So my, minority bisexual men and heterosexual uh, women, specific, Hispanic and African American. And and there's also still a little bit of a cultural difference of distrust of doctors, um, especially Alabama and Georgia. Right. Due to the Tuskegee um, experiments. Due to Tuskegee and other experiments. experiments and syphilis. Right. So there are lots of cultural reasons beyond the ones you typically think of um, that can create barriers between people and getting access to health care. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about PrEP and, you know, part of PrEP. Right now, there's only one medication for PrEP. Probably going to be two very soon and more coming in the near future. Um, it's a pill that you take every day. However, if you're the type of person that maybe doesn't have sex regularly and you don't want to take a pill every day... It is very much possible to take PrEP episodically. Like you're saying, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm going... I'm going to Frolicon in a month. I'm going to Frolicon. <laughs> I'm going to get some nose plugs and go to the dark room. So you, you want to take it... You Typically, they say to take it within 24 hours before and then take it about a week afterwards. I, I kind of err on the side of safety and I say 48 hours before and then, you know, at least a week afterwards. Or you can just stay on it and have... You can improvise. Yeah. You know, you have more spontaneity in that sort of case. And then uh, post-exposure prophylaxis is the, oh, shit, I may have gotten exposed to something. So keep in mind, if you had just been exposed, going to get an HIV test is usually fruitless because there's a window period where it will be negative. So what you want to do is within 48 hours, get yourself to an emergency room. Maybe a little bit better if you're in a metro area to go to a larger hospital because they're usually better equipped and have the drugs in the ER to start you on post-exposure prophylaxis immediately. Again, with post-exposure prophylaxis, there's assistance available there from the drug companies that will be able to get you that 
So HIV drugs themselves are very expensive, but there is a lot of patient assistance for folks who can't afford it. So if you don't have insurance or you're worried that you aren't able to afford it, they usually can do these patient assistance programs to get you the drug for free or no cost. But the diff but you can't take PrEP for post-exposure. They are not interchangeable. For post-exposure, it's a full HIV regimen, and you take it for 30 days, typically. What is the name of the, of the PrEP drug? For PrEP? Yeah. Currently, it's Truvada is the only one. Um, in the future, we're looking at a, the newer version of Truvada that has less kidney and bone toxicity called Descovi that's currently being studied and expected to be sort of replacing Truvada in the near future. And then what I'm excited about is doing injectable PrEP, so using injectable HIV medication that works like a Depo-Provera shot, that you just get the shot and you're good for three months. Nothing to think about. And that, that's kind of where we're going with HIV into the injectable realm so that you don't have to take pills. So, um, yeah, so we just talked about HIV a lot. Sorry. So uh, that's our icebreaker. Yeah, our icebreaker is like, <laughs> nice to meet you. Let's talk about some nasty infectious diseases. So does anyone have any specific questions? Because every year we come because oh, we want to, you know, be here for the community because we like y'all. Um, and so... If you have specific questions, we would love to field them. And between me, family medicine, and him, infectious disease, yeah. usually we know something about yeah. it. Yeah, remember, specific questions not being like, again, drop my pants and I got this rash, but yeah. <laughs> sort of In like general, general red bumpy be rashes like the whole, that. The whole, whole reason we do this class is many, many people at this con come up to us and say, look, I have this thing that's bothering me that I've been wanting to talk to my doctor about. It's actually related to, you know, BDSM or kink or the way I play. I'm not really sure if this is safe. How is do I bring I, it up if there's without any, looking like a weirdo? Yeah. How, how, what's a better way to communicate this with people? And then, you know, we kind of research this and try to do transition like okay we can take what we already know from medicine because there's very little BDSM medicine research and how can we translate this and to make it safer so like one of the things I really like is how can we reduce the risk of MRSA transmission from spanking benches right not really any papers on this if you go looking through the literature but there's there's certain things we can do and like weight bench exercise gym equipment can sometimes have some translation so you know a really good thing that you can do is you know the dungeon does provide you with some equipment but they didn't provide you with instructions on that equipment if you're using a bleach based uh, sterilization technique I see people you know spray 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 wipe right you don't want to do that. So bleach, bleach has a contact kill time. And the contact kill time of bleach is three minutes. So when you spray down your equipment, um, so that's why before I, I plan anything, even if I just saw the person spray it down, I do it myself. And you wait three minutes. You set your timer, you know, you do a little, like... Now, if you're wiping just to make sure it gets everywhere, but not to dry it off. If you dry right. it off, I see, I see people just dry done. it. What you want to do is, is liberally spray the surface and wait three minutes, let them marinate, marinate, build the scene, you know, maybe, maybe some sensual massage while you're doing it. Like, it's kill time, baby. It's, we're just killing time, and this is literally called kill time. <laughs> killing bugs. <laughs> Listen to the wonderful sounds of the live band in the dungeon. <laughs> Some, and, and some of you will remember that from a couple of years ago was live, live band dungeon music. 
And uh, speaking of antiseptics, um, one thing that's come up a few times, uh, chlorhexidine. Yes. Um, it's flammable. It's flammable while wet. Um, it is a great way to, you know, clean a body surface. And cause second degree burns when you do fire. And <laughs> not discolor it like iodine, betadine type products. Right. Um, so if you don't want that weird fake tan, you can use chlorhexidine, but do be aware while it's wet, it's flammable. So yes. electric play, flame play. Yes. That needs to wait till it dries. Yeah. So anybody here like needles, like doing needles or, or applying needles? Well, shit, I'm not going to talk about it then. All you people listening in the podcast, you just got screwed. Nobody likes needles. All right, so if you're using iodine, I'm going to say it anyway. So if you're using iodine, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, the cross-reaction with, with shellfish. So if someone says, you know, I went to Red Lobster and I got all, like, red in the face and my lips, you know, got puffy. and That, that is a normal reaction to Red Lobster, but um, <laughs> if you have a shellfish allergy, um, people with you shellfish allergies... To be allergic. Are more likely to be allergic to iodine. Or uh, betadine. So, sure. So don't use it. So a, another real, that segue, we always segueing in, because we do so much prep for this class, as you can see. We prep, and we don't do it. We improv this. Um, taking a good medical history before you play. So everybody's like, well, what are the areas I can hit? Can I mark you here? They have all these classes of like, how do you negotiate your scene, right? Part of your scene negotiation should always be medical history. You're allergic to no. latex, shellfish, iodine? Yes, iodine. there is nothing, nothing more awkward than you're fingering someone with a latex glove and they're like, why am I getting all puffy down there? Or, and then they, look, they look like Kirby, like, and just like, no. Speaking as someone who, you know, broke out from head to toe after getting baptized way back when because I was allergic to the soaps. No, it was the devil. Um, I know. <laughs> But they told me it was the soap. <laughs> um, so soaps are things too, especially if you're going to be using any materials that have been cleaned with different soaps, things right. like that. So yeah, important things. To, so you don't have much time. I know you want to get to that dungeon. You're waiting for that kill time, right? So that's a good time to take the medical history. So find, find out about any surgeries they've had. That's a really important thing. So if someone, ha or any medical issues. So when someone says, you know, okay, medical issues, I have, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes. You may, you know, if, if someone's diabetic or suffers from hypoglycemia, it's a good idea to get some of that candy that they have over there and bring it closer to you. Because you don't want to be running over there to have, to get it for them. And if you know they're diabetic and they're not talking right, get them sugar. Right. And I mean, this... Someone will find their testing equipment. Sure. But... <laughs> find out sugar. if... if like if someone says, I have an irregular heart rate, you may not want to necessarily do electrical play on them. If someone says, I'm, I have atrial fibrillation and I'm on Coumadin, you may not want to do impact play on them because you may not, or, or cutting, you may not be able to necessarily control the bleeding. These things may be outside of your scope. So if you, if you hear things like that, you need to augment your play. And just a good idea in general is if you are part of a big dungeon, is to have somebody who is at least BCLS certified in your dungeon or someone who's medical, you know, guess them in, you know, give them a free pass, have somebody who's medical there so that, you know, if, if emergencies do happen and they do happen, um, and you have somebody with And he's not just saying that to get safety. free passes. Oh, I, I, I like the free passes. <laughs> but, you know, you have somebody there that's going to have, um, like, 
the scissors necessary to cut someone out of out of a bondage or rope or plastic wrap scene if someone is hyperventilating yeah. or if something goes wrong. So always before you know, if you're doing a, a house party or if you're part of a dungeon and you do the organization, you basically create a oh shit kit, right? It's a good idea to have that. So you know things like dressings that are larger than band-aids and um, having the safety shears to cut people out, out of restraints is a great idea. Having candy like they do now here in our dungeon. Um, the other thing is sometimes um, with different plays, sometimes you'll get that person who got a little lightheaded after standing for a while or right. starting to feel a little woozy. Um, if they're still in that stage, sometimes getting them some ice cold water can help. Yeah. Um, Posture. So if someone starts to say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling woozy and it's not some space, first thing to do <laughs> before you get them ice cold water, get their ass to the ground, okay? And have them lay down, really important. Uh, because falling down and hitting their head while you went to go get them ice water. trauma is problem. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not the kind of impact play you're going for, typically. It's like, ri- you know what really turns me on? Fucking head on cement. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yes. Um, I have a random question about the Uh huh. Um, there are some that we get that sometimes hurt me, and it's only if I like have a reaction to it. Are there some markets that don't work well? Well, I mean, I think it's more to tell me if you're wrong or wrong, but it seems random. That same one won't be a problem at one point, and will be in another. Yeah, and it stings. It hurts like. So is it, is it on the second time that you use it that you have the reaction, or on the first time? In the same day, or in yeah, because some some people, if they have an allergic reaction, it, it can take like for example, poison ivy. If you've never been exposed to poison ivy, you can be like, oh, poison ivy. Rub yourself with poison ivy, and you're fine. It's the second time that you're exposed to it. Now you have antibodies. So no, I don't think it's the second time. It's the same one. Yeah. We don't really There's different types of The allergies. other thing is if it's irritant from whatever chemicals they put in, if there are irritant factors, yeah. sometimes based on your time of the month, your mucosal membranes may more, be more vigorous or less vigorous. Um, if you've had some play that was rougher, maybe you have micro tears in the mucosal membranes. Yeah. Anything that disrupts that surface makes an irritant much more likely to irritate. Yeah, and I, I can't overstate this enough. So check your ingredient list. If you find that it's certain certain lubricants that are doing it, try to find the, that and shared you don't ingredient. Want... So there's certain people that have allergies to color, like artificial coloring that may be in the lubricant. Some of the lubricants are flavored, so they'll have sort of artificial flavors added. Rarely natural flavors. This is not Welch's grape juice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Other additives that are added to lubricants, like some of them add these like warming factors to it. So. Yeah, which I know since I get skin reactions to certain things, yeah. I am very cautious to stay away from all those that are supposed to have some kind of chemical reaction happen. Yeah. I, I, so I just, just avoid it. Just, just, just look for other ways to do it, like dip your hand in spicy salsa before you finger them. And then you don't have to use warming lubricants. <laughs> but there are some people who do want some All sort natural. of changed sensation. So some people do think, use things like ginger to cause a, a painful burning if that's the pain they're looking for. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're getting all whole grain here. This is like the whole foods of kinkiness. <laughs> so horrible. Fucking Jeff Bezos is out there. It's like, this is brilliant. I've seen people write about like 
food grade oils and things like that in a mm -hmm. monogamous relationship where barriers aren't up. Yes. Uh, so is like coconut oil or acceptable or you a sweet almond oil no. and coconut oil no. for the most part on the external stuff is going to be safer than the other oils. Okay. So, so someone actually stopped me in the hallway and asked that exact question. They're like, I really like fucking with coconut oil. They're like, and, and I can get it from Costco in these giant barrels. <laughs> and you know, when I show up with the giant barrel of Astroglide at Costco, I gotta use self-checkout. And then when I use self-checkout, people are thinking I'm just gonna use this myself. Because <laughs> I don't have anybody with me. And they're like, self-checkout, oh, oh God, that's horrible. So I just buy a giant thing of, of coconut oil and people think I, you know, I, I cook a lot of healthy food. <laughs> All right, so the when I got asked that question, I'm <laughs> I, I thought of this poster I saw at an infectious disease conference and it was brilliant and it was about um, shampoos and conditioners and the different oils that were applied to them and how they affected uh, the growth of this particular type of uh, organism called Malazesia fervor which causes dandruff right and they compared different oils and the one that had the best microbial growth was coconut oil so you're so using coconut oil as a lubricant. Remember, vagina is not a sterile space. Never will be, right? So you you may precipitate something like BV, which is why I, I learned very early never use Charms Blow Pops as, as an insertable. BV bacterial vaginosis, meaning right, regular so. bacteria causing some irritation, or, um, some infection, not the traditional sexually transmitted infections. A very easy way to explain this is, think of your vagina like a zoo, okay? And you just, you just show, <laughs> all right? Your, your, your vagina is the Atlanta Zoo, so nobody visits it. And <laughs> Maybe you're Sometimes there's a, there's a bad deal that happens there. But all right, think think of, think of your vagina like a zoo. So there's lots of different lots of different animals residing in that zoo. Okay. Now coconut oil is like, all right, we're we're gonna just feed this one animal. Okay, this one animal really likes steaks, and when it eats steaks, it fucks like crazy and makes more. Of the, or so let's say they're tigers, right? All right, we have three tigers in this zoo. Okay. So you, now you're feeding the tigers the one food the tigers like. Now the tigers are going to fuck like crazy, and they're going to multiply, and they're going to kill everything in that zoo. So whereas you have this organism in a low level in your vagina, and it, it's totally fine when you have an overgrowth of it, it takes over the zoo, and no one wants to go to the Atlanta Zoo anymore. Because it, it sucks. <laughs> so, remember, but a lot of your vagina is a zoo, and don't put coconut oil in it. A lot of things are based on how much, when, things like that. Um, a lot of people who are fluid bonded, who do rectal play, things like boy butter, have silicone and coconut oil. Oh. Um, and that's pretty commonly used. Yeah. Um, so, what's the recommended... I would use water-based lubricant personally. I mean, I'm not paid sponsor yet, so if, <laughs> if like the gun oil people come up to me, they're like, oh, Dr. Ketter, I'll buy you like your next year's badge and you just prep gun oil. Yeah, I would really, I'd be a huge gun oil fan. But no, I mean, 
All right, me, I'm a cheap ass. I'm going to go and be like, oh, look, Equate Brands. Because <laughs> there's no, no, nothing says, like, big roller after sex is like, check it out, generic brand lubricant. <laughs> I care about you. These, these condoms, health department condoms. They help me last all night. I, I won't feel a thing, and you won't feel a thing. <laughs> it's going to be great. So one thing that came in the little... Yes, it's weird. So, um, clove originally was um, used as an oral anesthetic by um, Dennis before we got into real anesthetics. Um, Yes, it has some numbing effect, which is probably why they put it in something anal, but I don't really recommend it unless you're really wanting some numbing effect. Yeah. Or if you have a goth person about to go down on you, that would probably be the best place to use it. Or, or if you're like a basic bitch and like, I want the closest thing to pumpkin spice latte here. <laughs> pumpkin spice labia, PSL. <laughs> Your vagina is a zoo. <laughs> this is already a better class than last year. <laughs> It has nothing to do with content. It's like, how good are the jokes? <laughs> That's all that matters. But yet... Oh, no. And, right. and a lot of the exothermic, the warming things, I tend to avoid. <laughs> um, if you have any kind of reaction, I mean, definitely, if you want to try something like that, try it on some regular skin first. Or try it on yourself, which is what you should do with everything. Like yes, any on regular toy, skin before you go to mucosal membranes. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, so they, someone paid for all that. <laughs> That's why that is. So, all right, so what, so we, we've covered lubes. is bad, right, because like pain tells you that... Something is wrong, so you don't really want numbing. Can you say the question again? In general, numbing medication can cause problems because pain generally is a good thing to tell you where you are in what you're doing. Um, That being said, there are lots of people when they feel like they are trying to train for rectal you know, bigger play. They'll use a little bit of numbing um, topical lidocaine that does increase the risk of doing something and not realizing how bad that something is. Right. So it's a risk if that's the risk you want to take. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that's not, then make sure it's not in there. Yeah. And, oh, another, another good thing is, you know, I always assume there's a lot of people that bottom here, like, like to do anal play, but um, there, there is such thing as an anal pap that you can get and is recommended, especially if you do a lot of anal receptive intercourse as a male or female. And that's something you can talk to your doctor about. And it's also like a cervical pap smear looking for things like precancerous or cancerous changes in HPV, the human mm-hmm. papillomavirus. Yeah, so when I there's, there's sort of different levels that you can do. Um, so what I typically do is I look for, do they have high-risk HPV or low-risk HPV, and what that means is uh, high-risk HPV types are associated with genital warts and cancers, so malignant changes over time. If someone is positive for that, you want to do a little bit more screening with things like anoscopy to look over time for cancers, or they may get a colonoscopy at an earlier age. 
And by that he means that there's a million different types of HPV. Yes. And we treat them by categories of it. Yeah, high um, risk and low risk. And oh, is anybody here under the age of 26? What one person and all the people listening at home, I assume. Um, get if you're under the age of 26 and you have insurance, get the Gardasil vaccine. I cannot stress this enough. All right, you're cool. There are some places you can get it over 26 as well. Sure. It very much depends on insurance and stuff. Right. A lot of times, what I say is insurance usually won't cover it when you're over the age of 26. You can always pay cash for it, and we're more than willing to take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're, like, coming in, you're like, I got $1,000 burning a hole in my pocket, and I don't want to get genital warts. I'm like, that is $1,000 well spent, my friend. <laughs> so, yes, ma'am. How long does that uh, last, that shot? I've got it. I just... It's How old were you when you got it? And finished the three-shot series. Yeah. Um, so, like, looking at it, they don't really find decreasing immunity. But keep in mind that the vaccine has only been out since the mid-2000s. So, currently, when they look at people who got the vaccine early, they're finding preserved immunity. So, it's not something we think right now you need to get a booster for. But who knows in 20 years, that might change. Yeah. So, like, as, as we continue to evaluate it. This is where we're going, which is amazing. So I'm hoping and praying one day because trying to go my whole life, like, just don't get herpes, um, that we're going to have more of these DNA virus-based vaccines because HPV is one of, the, one of these fam, in the family of herpes simplex virus. So we're working on that, developing that currently. So the future will be eventually we're going to have an HIV vaccine that's going to happen, possibly before it's cured. Yeah. Do they have a blood test? You just monitor your antibody level to HPV and make sure the vaccine is still efficacious in your body after you get it? No. It's for research purposes only, not something you're going to go to a doctor and they're going to be able to order. I know. It sucks. So, but yeah, the other the other part of doing a PAP, um, just like doing a vaginal PAP, is that you're looking for any sort of atypical cells. So, you know, when I do when I do my, my rectal PAPs, best way to start a Monday morning, um, so, you know, it's, it's two swabs, you know, one, one is, you know, kind of the scratchy cotton thing that's, and then, uh, we also have like the little brush for more of a textured feeling. Um, only really halfway the, joking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that like is a, a cyto brush that you use for a regular, uh, yeah. cervical pap. And so we, you know, we capture some of the atypical cells and things like that. So these are things that you may not necessarily know about. Your general practitioner may not necessarily know about, which again brings us back to if your insurance allows it, go to the specialist that's best going to be able to understand your needs. Or being a family medicine, just go and if you're not getting your needs met, go see someone else. Yeah. So they've found out risk stratifying people um, that adding the HPV testing. Um, that we can go longer. Cervical cancer is very deadly in advanced stages. But from the very first stage to the advanced usually takes about 10 years. So they found out as long as you are reliably getting that testing, which the guidelines are different depending on your age and a whole bunch of other things, but if you're getting the testing and especially if you combine it with HPV testing, you don't have to get it every single year. That doesn't improve things. You still need it on a regular basis, but we found out we were testing a little more frequently than we needed to. Yeah. Um, so something that we talked about years ago, I swear it's like in the family feud that when people come up to me randomly and ask about things in our class, they're like, oh, 
you talked about in the podcast breath play versus choking. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. Um, you know, in your play, don't go outside of things that you are extremely comfortable with as a safety perspective. And that there, there is a very big difference. Welcome. You're going to catch the last 10 minutes. Cool. Um, yeah, between like breath play and choking. So breath play can be more psychological. It can be just putting your hand over someone's nose, but still allowing them room to breathe. It, it's more of a mental thing, whereas choking, you're actually either reducing airflow or reducing blood flow to the brain, uh, which can be extremely dangerous. So, so later, um, I think next month or July, if you guys are part of uh, Whippersnappers, me and, and Jay Meyer are going to do a class together on breath play versus choking. And we're going to go into great detail about this, so kind of selling this is like Westworld season two. They're <laughs> uh, like getting you ready for it, uh, so that that's that's kind of coming soon, and like foreshadowing. I'm gonna be like the Marge Simpson of like, don't do that, don't do that, and Jay's gonna be like, informed risk taking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more questions. Did we get any? Did anybody have a question on a piece of paper? Since I have occasionally had the experience of going and talking to general practitioners mm-hmm. and getting like marginally to really judgy responses, yeah. what do you recommend for before the go find another practitioner? Um, part of that depends on your comfort level with knowing what you need and whether or not you're getting what you need despite the judginess. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes insurance, money, location, geography, a whole bunch of things favor figure in. Um, depends on when you might want to change. Um, the, the other is sometimes just pointing it out because a lot of times doctors want to help, but they may not realize how judgy they come off too. And so a, we get very little education in medical school on actually how to address these things. All this uncomfortable talking stuff they try and educate. We did. They try and educate, but most I people. <laughs> <laughs> most people do not get much communication skills. Yeah. Um, training. So sometimes bringing it up to them if they seem like they're trying to help, but coming up with a lot of barriers. Yeah. Um, because I, sometimes they don't realize how judgy they come off. I'm, I'm going to give you a script. And this is going to be really helpful for everybody in the room. If this is a big deal for you or you're in an uh, alternative lifestyle that inf- it, it packs your health, go into the visit and talk about that immediately. The first thing. And say, are you comfortable in dealing with this? Or do you know somebody that is that you can refer me to? Because, you know, they may, a doctor may say, look, I'm not really comfortable with that. But I do know someone who is. And in your local area, they may be like, well, you know, in the times where I've gotten this weird test back and I didn't know how to exactly deal with it, there is a guy that specializes in my area. So you may even, before you get into the visit, you broach that subject. It takes some confidence and it takes some, you know, you got to gather the will up. But don't put the ball in their court by telling them and being honest up front about it. And then, you know, if they say, look, I'm not really up to date on that but I know someone who is. That's a successful visit for me, and they may be able to address other things that related to your health or general general health. They're like, well, we'll still do an EKG. We're still going to check your thyroid, check your blood pressure. We're going to do all these other things, and then I'm going to refer you to a specialist, or I'm going to refer you to somebody in the community that 
Um, because we doctors, we're all in these big networks, and we, we know kind of who to send people to. And I know when I was um, working in a residency program, um, a lot of people would just kind of steer what they were uncomfortable with towards me. Um, She's so the one. I, I was the one that was good with all the uncomfortable topics. Yeah. Um, she always smells like clove lube. <laughs> Whether that was sexual health, mental health, death and dying, all the uncomfortable things. And so uh, we had a couple of um, transgender. We had, <laughs> we had a couple of transgender patients that just needed the hormone therapy. Right. They didn't need to go two hours down the road where they could actually go to a specialist because I'm in a rural area. Yeah. Um, they just needed continuation of hormone therapy. And so we did that in our family medicine clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things kind of got steered towards me. And it wasn't that I was specialized. I was just comfortable. Yeah. And when it was beyond my comfort level, no, really, you really need to drive that <laughs> extra. And, and I would let people know. Yeah. A, a good a good physician is one who's gonna who's gonna work with you within their limitations or or work with you and research things, but know when something is really out of their control, they're gonna refer you to somebody else. That's the sign of a good doctor. And if you know if someone is trying to take control and they may not necessarily know what they're doing or they have all the answers, that may not be the best physician for you. The best physician knows their own limitations, or the best healthcare practitioner they know their own limitations. And they can act in a compassionate manner, even if they don't know the answer. I know, this is all inspirational. We need to get back into, like, the funny stuff. The funny stuff breaks it, though. <laughs> it always breaks it. Everything's funny. Let's see, what, what else is new um, from the kind of kink stuff? Does anyone have any questions related specifically, because this is all stuff you can research online, infectious disease, but specifically related to kink and medical? Because that that's the hard thing to find when you go when you go like Google in. Yes. Risks to the biter, not the bitey. Okay, so the question is about risks to the biter, not the bitey. Actually, also, are there like specific bite marks you just really shouldn't bite? Because I know the list for caning, and I know the list for blogging, and I know the list for sure pressure here. It can cause um, heart rhythm problems. So no matter what you're doing, yeah. don't put pressure here. Vagal nerve stimulation. Oh, can Carotid arteries. Carotid artery, yeah. That's, it gets back to the choking. When I think of biting, personally, like I think of the injuries that the recipient of the bite can get. And that's totally my wheelhouse because I, I treat human bite injuries. <laughs> now, most of it isn't, isn't like, I got this bite and I loved it. Most of it was... I was jumping uh, I, on a trampoline and my open mouth hit my knee. No, that is never what happened. It was, I drank a fifth of vodka, I drove to the Waffle House, and I fucking punched a lime cook in the face. You know, that, that is the much more common thing. They're like, I go to like, scared this mother covered my ass, motherfucker. And they, they punch him in the mouth, you know, and their teeth cut into their knuckles, which there's almost no skin on your knuckles, right? And now that and now that that person is there to come see me, thanks. Um, so the human mouth is disgusting. I don't know if you know this. I would say it's second only in disgustingness to cats. Cats have the most disgusting mouths, and unfortunately, cats have really sharp teeth, 
So they like to penetrate into your bone and infect you and be like, motherfucker, you're going to lose a hand. Should have bought me Shima, bitch. <laughs> All right, so human bites. What you, have to, what you have to worry about with human bites is there are some uh, bacteria that you get mainly from human bites uh, that you're not going to get with other types of injuries. So what it causes is a skin infection and it can potentially get into the bone. But yeah, the vast majority of human bites I've seen are from people who have been in fights and punched somebody in the mouth. Never a good idea to punch somebody in the mouth. You'll win. You'll probably win. But in the end, you will not win. <laughs> because like when I'm like, yeah, you're going to be on antibiotics for eight weeks because of this. Because there, there's bacteria. One of them is this one called Iconella, corrodens. It has the word corrosion in it. It's not good for your bones. <laughs> kind of obvious. Think about that. So what you, what you definitely don't want to do is break skin. So when you're biting, try to find places that where you have a thick dermis or a thick layer of fat. So most of these bite injuries that we see that get infected are in areas where there's only a very thin amount of skin. So when you're biting people, stick up here or up here. And remember, no play is absolutely safe. You can do, do what you can to mitigate the risk factors, but nothing we do is absolutely safe. And if you and do accidentally break skin, um, then that's a blood exposure. Part of that risk will depend on if you have navy cuts, micro tears, anything like that, right. will increase your risk of that blood exposure being a problem. Yeah, and then, you know, from my background, you asked about risks to the um, biter. This is a good place to get your detailed medical history because you want to find out if you can look at people's test results, if they have any sort of bloodborne infections like hepatitis B, C, or HIV. Hepatitis B and C, more likely to get, uh, you're more likely to get via a, a bite exposure if you draw blood and you yourself have a micro cut or a bleeding gut. You accidentally bit your cheek the week before. You know? Right, right. Or just brushed your teeth. Something, yeah. Right. So, yeah, you know, there is absolutely always risk, and that's, that's why I'm Dr. Fun Killer. Um, every, everything has a risk, including pedicures. Pedicures are disgusting. Okay, now, other questions related to kink and medicine, because we have, I think, what, 15 minutes? We got I about figure we have until someone opens the door. Yeah, till, <laughs> or until they, like, come in here and release the paint thinner again. They're like, everybody go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> So what other questions do you have? Everybody is pretty quiet. Um, uh, how about uh, pragmatic advice? Because like, you hear in it, um, like running like uh, oral yeah. uh, sex is that use a barrier or don't do it at all. And it's really? Like, well, and, like, you know, well, a lot of people use a barrier, use a barrier, don't damn whatever. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like a fluid bonded or monogamous relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody gets excited about, like, the, the dental dam. Yeah. Nobody has ever been like, dental dam, yes! <laughs> it's like... Like, dental dam or nothing, and don't be hearing outside. Yeah, oh man, there's so much... That's a great question, thank you for asking that. So, I'm a big believer in prophylactic vaccination based on risk factors, and one of the, one of the things that you absolutely can do is get make sure you are vaccinated against hepatitis A and B if you're going to be doing rooming. So he hepatitis A, so there's five main types of hepatitis. We mainly talk about A, B, and C. D and E are out there, um, underdiagnosed. You can get them by eating, like, weird sausages in Germany. Um, so if someone's like, I just went to Germany and I ate some weird sausage, I'm like, do you mean that metaphorically or literally? <laughs> um, <laughs> I really see the one point my doctor said, I think you have to eat, I can't wait to 
Um, yeah. It kind of can. Oh, if your doctor says I gotta send you to CDC, they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. They're like, they just watch some show on TV and they're like, oh, look, the, the zombie outbreak. You know, CDC is where you go. That is, you don't go to CDC and they're like, yeah, just sign in at the CDC emergency room. There is no fucking CDC emergency room. It was definitely a joking there because it was like, if I can find out, but I'm going to CDC. Yes, so hepatitis A is fecally orally transmitted, and people don't want to talk about that. Um, so anybody who rams or, or engages in yeah, analingus absolutely should get hepatitis A and B vaccine, and conveniently enough, hepatitis A and B vaccine can be co-formulated, and you just get it over a three-dose series, and it'll, it'll protect you between six and ten years. Now, if you're outside that period, and you're like, well, I got my hepatitis A and B vaccines a long time ago, Am I still protected for it because that vaccine, the immunity wanes? All you do is you go to your doctor and say, hi, can you check my, my antibody levels for hepatitis A and B? And there's cutoffs for that. And if you're below those cutoffs, you can get boosted. So we get, you can keep the protection up. So a big part of what I do is assess risk factors on the individual level, find out how you can best protect them. Because nothing you do is safe, but you can augment that risk. The other thing is any diarrhea, don't go near it. Even if it's <laughs> that's kind of given, no one's like, I'm really thirsty. No. Right now. <laughs> I'm talking about like, you know what? Nobody told me a week ago. No doctor told me not to do this, <laughs> so it's probably okay. And then a long term prognosis on hepatitis A. Oh, hepatitis E. Oh man, that's a good question. Um, so he hepatitis E again is one of those things that it is not routinely tested so I don't routinely deal with it and this is something that I would probably have to email you back on but typically more of a, a, a chronic state so it, with B um, which is much more common, hepatitis B uh, the thing to keep in mind it is something that is treatable but not curable so you can suppress it um, but in some people it will reactivate some people will clear it automatically. Um, the same with hepatitis C. Not everyone that gets exposed to hepatitis C develops a chronic hepatitis C infection. So about 25% of people exposed to it will actually clear hepatitis. The, the advice I was given is it's like flu, you're going to get it and it's going to resolve on its own in almost all cases. Oh, right. no. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, yeah, with, with, with B and C... So with hepatitis A, a lot of most people will form immunity to it, but you will feel like absolute shit while you have that. Like you, you can get jaundice, like really high fevers. You can rarely, but you can potentially have more grave consequences. So avoid all that and just get vaccinated for it. So th again, this all ties back into why it's important to have a good communication. Uh, with your physician so that they, they understand what you're at risk for because they may look at you and be like you know this person only has sex with women or right hand only and you know they may make the false assumption if they don't have good if they don't have good information or they may assume you're over 30 you don't have new partners yeah or you're married you, there's no way you have outside partners and so now if they say that they're doing a viral hepatitis screening panel that's usually testing for a b and c right. it will not give you definitive results it tells you whether or not sometimes you need further testing yeah. see the antibody 
You would yeah, have no. to do a viral load. Yeah, if they were acutely infected. Oh, we're, we're, we're talking shop here. <laughs> so that's what they test for on a viral hepatitis panel. Yes. Right, right. And there's window period. Remember, window periods. So before, any, before you get tested, try to find out what the window period is so that you can Between wait that Between your exposure and actually <coughs> showing up on the test. Right. So, and also, again, I'm going to kill all your guys' fun here, but when you're, when you're like, show me your test results, like a Carfax, right? So when that Carfax was done, you know, hopefully you weren't in that window period, but then, you know, after that Carfax was reported, then they drove it into a cliff and brought it back up. So, yeah, after someone gets tested, they may be like, eh, let's have, like, some sort of, you know, hentai origin sort of thing. And uh, with mutants, lovely girl style, I don't know. And... Now those test results are not valid. So don't, you know, get into a risky situation just because you saw some test results. Go for it. Since the class said rash, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask, uh, are there yeasts and fungal infections that can become chronic and or resistant to... Like azoles? Difficult therapy? So chronic, one of the ways some yeast infections become chronic in the southeast is never drying creases. Um, Any crease needs to be completely washed and dried completely. And I find lots of people who don't make sure all their skin folds dry. Um, And in the southeast, that may mean you have to hold things up under a ceiling fan naked for a little bit after your shower to completely dry, depending on where your skin folds are, but yeah. that can run into some chronic yeast infections in just about any skin fold. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think your question was more due to uh, something like an antifungal resistance. Yeah. If you're chronically using something like a topical antifungal right. myconosol cream or right. something like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if, you, if you're using the wrong antifungal, that would be my first my first bet is if you if it keeps if you keep applying it and it keeps coming back, one it may not be a fungal infection. So you you want to get derm path, like you want to get someone to biopsy and say, look, I, I looked at it under a microscope and I see yeast forms or I see hyphae. So seeing a dermatologist, sometimes I have to send people to dermatologists because I don't have the ability to do that. And a rat, there's just so many things that can cause rashes. You know, it can be it could be a, a contact allergy, it can be fungal, it can be strep. There's, there's lots of different things. So if it's ever in question or a treatment that I would expect to work isn't working, we need to, we need to broaden our diagnosis and, and do some additional testing. But if it's a moist skin fold, first. Yes. <laughs> because large-breasted women in the South, it sweats, yeah. it's moist, it's warm, w- it's a great environment for yeast. I want to pull the rope. Uh, this, this is a really important topic and something that can be very... We're all about pragmatism, right? We're not just despair. I mean, I am mainly despair, but MRSA, like boils and things like... Has anybody gotten those or recurrent sort of... Yeah, yeah. So it, it's actually pretty common in the kink community uh, because it's, it's transmitted person to person and it can even be transmitted through fomite. So fomite is the cool medical word for... Uh, like random object, object. <laughs> like a spanking bench or a medical play table, right? Because you didn't wait the three minutes. <laughs> Damn it! Now, so I'm, I'm sorry. When you're doing that, the, are you talking about a specific body area with the outbreak of the MRSA, or is it just forever? Anywhere. I mean, yeah. So I mean, t- typically MRSA. <laughs> 
likes skin folds right. or areas that I'm sweat. Exposed to since yeah, because but there's there's something so pragmata. If you do get this to happen, there's stuff you can do about it, and. Um, there's and unless you saw the spider, it wasn't a spider bite. Yeah, it's never a spider bite. So <laughs> unless you saw that spider, named it, met it, you know, and its family, it wasn't a spider bite. I'm basically house without like the narcotic addiction or the limp. But um, so with with MRSA, it's not just something like I'm going to take an antibiotic and this is going to get better. With MRSA, it's a recurrent problem, and a lot of times we get colonized with it. And you may be colonized and have no symptoms and may potentially also be transmitting it to family members. Um, so what's important, especially when you're dealing with this sort of recurrent MRSA infection, is you have to look at everything at such a microscopic level and tear it apart. So what I do is, uh, you know, if someone has sort of recurrent boils, um, besides if it happens a lot, looking at sort of an immunodeficiency standpoint, but um, doing both... Decoloniz- doing a decolonization procedure over a period of time, usually about seven days. Drain- you drain the boils with incision and drainage, or you know, you go into your needle kit. Um, no, let a doctor do this. Um, yes. So it's usually because a combination of drainage. Boils are, are a mess to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> not a common kink. You know, it's up there with no, no. Concrete. It's usually the um, but no, that was stupid to do that at home before coming in. Yeah, so it, 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 it's drainage. Um, now it's, they say you actually want to do a short antibiotic course with something like Bactrim, but the, a big, big part of it is doing this decolonization procedure, which is both a, an ointment in the nose, because MRSA likes to hide in the nose a lot of the time, and then using either a dilute leach bath um, or using a chlorhexidine-based uh, soap. And then, again, you're dealing with kill time, so with chlorhexidine, you want to take a shower, clean everything, dry off, that towel is going to be washed. Do not reuse anything. And then you apply the soap everywhere but your like eyes, your genitals, and your, your rectum. So everything that's dry. No mucous membranes. And then you just sit there quietly in the shower for five minutes and maybe, you know, tease somebody's nipples. I don't know. But you, the important thing is you got to wait. There's so much of this thing, you just got to wait. And then you do that for seven days. And, or you can, if you're, if you're on the cheap, you can do a dilute bleach bath. Um... Some people do that, but you got to make sure you get the concentration right, or else you're getting into like second degree chemical burn. So um, that's why I like chlorhexidine. And then also while you're in the shower, no fire blood <laughs> <laughs> or s'mores. <laughs> it's like I got five minutes, I'm gonna make some s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> Naked s'mores in the shower is the best. <laughs> you wash the marshmallow, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. It's like I don't even have to put it on a stick. I just hold it in front of me while I'm getting burned. And if you do have any other questions, they're general questions and not, you know, not you want us to questions. be your physician, feel free to stop us because we come here because we like this. Yeah, this is, we do this because it's service and we're both, this is our family. This is our community. This is our tribe. And we feel it's important to get back. Um, and everybody in the community should use their specific outside talents and give back to the community. We have a very universal sort of outlook on this. I get my geek on. And then next year, have them make uh, better soundproof dividers than this crappy Sunday school divider that they put up for us. Yeah, the one that's open in the middle and that they're doing like what the hell are they doing? Let's look at what they're doing. <laughs> did you have people? Did you have another question? Oh, they're doing the candy lane. Oh, I did that when I when I got here. 
Candyland? Yeah, it's the second Candyland. Oh my god, it's so hard. So they, they have a game where you, um, one person, so it's, it's in teams of two, all the people at podcasts listening at home, just think about this, visualize this in your mind. Uh, so one person puts on a pair of pantyhose, and uh, at the bottom of the pantyhose, there's a lemon, so you, you, t- you drop a lemon in there, and then the other partner has to uh, move that lemon from the toe end of one um, side of the pantyhose to the toe end of the other side of the pantyhose using only their face. And um, I thought, like, oh, I can, uh, like, I, I have this engineering background. I'm going to totally fucking out-engineer this. No, I, I learned that you can actually get, like, a, a carpet burn from pantyhose. <laughs> on your face <laughs> and I'm like oh fuck. and then like the people who want it they're like I practiced at home for this <laughs> I'm like oh because the, the, the stakes are great you get a party judge badge you get 50 bucks and you get a custom paddle so they're like yeah we practiced at home for this I'm like damn it why do I have to have a job and they're like the solution the solution is so simple because they, they tell you before I'm like people have cheated at this what they did is they just, they bit the pantyhose, made a hole in it, pulled the lemon out, bit the other side, and put it on it. And they're like, I win. They're like, technically you did win. They're like, don't do that. Don't do that. That's cheating. So, like, the people that won, and they're doing it right now, so hopefully they'll hear this, and so they don't get the facial, well, maybe, I kind of want them to get the face burn, actually. I don't want to be the only one. They're like, God damn, I got this... I'll be in, like, the recovery from the lifestyle thing, and I'll be like, God, I got a fucking face burn from fishnets and, uh, and trying to move a lemon. That was, that was her thing, man. She wanted the citrus zest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... No, she, she lets me do this sometimes. She's going to reel me in in a second. Yeah, because there is another question. The, the, winner, the winner bit the fucking lemon and basically ate it, and then... Uh, so, what's your question? <laughs> Those at home can see she performed uh, a non-consensual breath play on me. Um, Don't do that. So I know HPV can't be tested in penis-having bodies, yes. which is unfortunate. Yes. Um, do y'all have good advice on, especially for polyamorous or generally slutty people, yes. just managing that or keeping track of it well? Or Get vaccinated. Even if you're over 26. Pay up. Done that. Cool. But it only covers some of the strengths. Which, that's the It covers the high risk strengths. Right now. Okay. It, co- it covers the ones you're gonna, you're going to be more worried about. But the Remember, partners, no, no the sex is like safe, it. no play is safe. You mitigate the risk as much as possible. And so, so it sounds like you're, you're saying you've done your homework as best you can. You have done your homework. You came you came prepared as best as you can. Right? So again, you know, the same, it goes right back to the test results. Test results isn't so much about a confirmation of you have chlamydia or HIV or syphilis or not. It's about how responsible is this person about their health and protecting me, right? It's, it's, it's a reflection of I care about my health and I care about your health. And it's more of a statement of that person's type. So it's, there is this big fear in the, in the physician community that if we start putting people on PrEP, they're going to go buck wild and have all this unprotected sex and, and do things they normally don't do. And what we're finding is that isn't happening because the people who are coming to ask about PrEP or get on PrEP are responsible people and they care about the safety of others and themselves. They care about helping the community. So, I mean, that's, that's why 
you're never going to get 100% there, but you're going to do the best you can. Yes? I have a question. If someone maybe uh, got an HPV vaccine the first in the series and then just skipped it, get the rest as soon as you can. I was thinking, is there a... Is there a time where you'd say, eh, start all over, or do you just do the next two? I can get back to you on that, because it's fuzzy, and I don't want to give you the wrong answer. But I, I have, I've read on that before. Uh, so, you know, t- typically, yeah, if you're, if you're close, you know, if you're maybe within a couple months. So there, there's actually decent data on two, getting two out of the three. And even if you get two out of the three, you're, you're usually fairly good. You're most of the way there. Um, three out of the three is going to get you into the high 90s. But even two out of the three, you're, you're going to get decent coverage. Um, so that, that's one of those things that would completely depend on how long it's been and whether to restart the series or not. So, cool. Any other questions? We're, we're, at, we're about at time. What did you guys think of the class this year? Excellent. Cool. You can just go, woo! Cool, because there's people listening at home and they're all like, they missed all the good visual stuff. You have been listening to episode 241 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. Join us next week when we present Poly 101 recorded at Frolicon.